Good morning, church. Welcome, welcome, welcome. Typically, uh, again, if you're visiting this morning, um, you may not know that typically our, our pattern is that we uh, go through uh, books of the Bible, verse by verse and chapter by chapter, which would put us in, uh, in our usual circumstance in, in John chapter 8 this morning. However, uh, sometimes the Lord leads to step out of where we are, systematically working through, and, and look at something else. And with Thanksgiving this Thursday, uh, the Lord really put Deuteronomy 8 on my heart. So if you have a Bible, Deuteronomy chapter 8 is where we'll be. If you didn't bring a Bible, uh, just we can take care of that. Just put your hand up and uh, a Bible will come from the back or step on the toe of the person next to you. And when they reach down to grab it, then you can take their Bible from them. That works too. Hands up nice and high, Bibles. If you don't know where Deuteronomy or what a Deuteronomy is, uh, in the in the front of your Bible, there's a table of contents, and it will it's it's the fifth book from the beginning, the last book of what we call the Torah, Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy, and it just means law again. It's just a reiteration of of the the things that God wants His people to know and remember as they go into the Promised Land. So, with that said, let's pray. You've got Deuteronomy chapter 8 open. Let's go to the Lord. Father, uh, we're here once again, Lord, as is our ritual, as is our habit to gather together. You reminded us not to forsake that, especially now, Lord, as we're in the last days, as we see uh, trends and things in the world, Lord, knowing that uh, we're expecting you soon. But Lord, for now, you have us here telling us to take advantage of every opportunity to show Christ to the world. To live the things that we're told we can live. To have rivers of living water flowing out of our bellies. Father, I pray that all that we read would become our experience as we continue to submit ourselves, our lives, our families, our work, all of it submitted to you, Lord. We know that you resist the proud, but you give grace to the humble. And we thank you for the work that you continue to do in our lives to humble us. Father, take this word, take this time, use it to our benefit, that we might grow and grow up into the head, which is Jesus Christ. And all God's people said, Amen, Amen. How many of you are traveling for Thanksgiving, just out of curiosity? Be going, going relatives' houses? Not a whole lot. We decided not to travel this Thanksgiving. I don't, I don't, life's so busy, you get running around everywhere. So we're staying home this Thanksgiving. Just out of curiosity, how many of you are the only uh, Christian presence in your family? A few? Okay. Uh, will you be the ones that are, when it's time to pray, with, people will look at you, okay, well you're the... You know, you're the Bible thumper. Go ahead and let her rip, you know. <laughs> it's like the one time. But, you know, I just I read a statistic just this morning that in America now, 44, only 44% of households actually pray before meals now, which means 46% don't at all. They've stopped giving thanks for their food. But 44% still. Now, of those 44%, 40, 
44% that still pray, some of them pray like this, rub-a-dub-dub, thanks for the grub. Or good food, good meat, good God, let's eat. Those are some of the prayers. I'm not sure that's what God is looking for. I mean, we reckon God doesn't need to be thanked, right? I mean, he doesn't need, he's, he's sufficient in and of himself. He's not needing, he doesn't need us to, to sacrifice to him because it makes him feel good. He doesn't need us to thank him because he needs, needs his ego stroked. Gratitude and thanksgiving are for us. Humility is good for the human heart. Proud is very destructive. Uh, being, being proud is very destructive. So Deuteronomy 8 is one of my favorite chapters in the Bible. And I know as we sit down for Thanksgiving this year, uh, one of our lifetime family verses that, that is one that really guides a lot that we do is to whom much is given, much is required. And I know I, I look at my family and I look at what the Lord has done. I don't know where I would be if I was still the guy I was and, and going the direction I was going 19 years ago. 20 years ago, 25 years ago. I was not heading in a good direction and the Lord rescued me. And, and how easily we forget, those of us that are in here that, are, that have been saved, that have been rescued out of whatever it is God rescued us out of, how easily we forget. You know, time goes by, years go by, and, and life continues. We're, we take for granted the things that, that we, we take for granted God's word. We take for granted the the beauty of fellowship. We take for granted His grace. And we begin to forget where we came from. I I love watching athletics. Whether it's athletics or whether it's some of the award shows on on TV, you you see someone who's arrived. I'll take athletics, for example. And uh, and the camera goes on them. They've just crossed the finish line first. They're celebrating. And the camera's there. They just scored the touchdown. And the camera comes on. And what does that guy say? Or what does that person say? Thanks, Mom. And dads are going, hey, wait a second. You know, come on. But there's this, again, did more research on this. Do you know how much it costs and how much sacrifice is involved with becoming an, an Olympic athlete? I mean, to even so many try and so few actually ever make it even into the Olympics and let alone actually succeed at the Olympics, it takes a huge amount of sacrifice. It's not just an individual thing. It's, it's sacrifice on behalf of the whole family. And so for a child to grow up pursuing an athletic dream like that and actually coming to success in that area and then to say, yeah, look how great I am. I all, all, did all by myself. It's like, wow, you really think that? You, you, is that really what you think? I mean, you don't, you don't remember what your parents did for you? I mean, I changed your diapers. I brought you into this world, Bill Cosby. said, so I take you out. But that's what Deuteronomy chapter 8 is about. So it's a long chapter, chapter. We'll cruise through it at a pretty good click, and we'll stop and make some applications along the way. Deuter- did we all find Deuteronomy? I hope we're all there now. Chapter 8, verse 1 says, Every commandment which I command you today, you must be careful to observe that you may live and multiply and go in and possess the land of which the Lord swore to your fathers. God had made them a promise to bring them into prosperity, bring them into a good land. they, They were a people without a land. They weren't even a people till God made them a people. And then they had been in slavery in Egypt hundreds of years living that way and God set them free and he's now they're they're they've been wandering in the wilderness and they're about to come in to the place where God 
told him he would bring them. And verse 2 says, And you shall remember that the Lord your God led you all the way these 40 years in the wilderness to humble you and test you to know what was in your heart, whether you would keep his commandments or not. So for 40 years, it's an 11-day journey, and for 40 years, God led them. He could have brought them out of Egypt and, boom, right there. But God said, I got some things I want to teach you first. We got some things to go, to go over in your life. And I'm going to spend some time working those things out in your life. So he led them into a place of need so that they would learn humility and dependence. You can, we, this Thanksgiving, we'll go down to the grocery store. We'll go down to Food Lion or Giant or Kroger or Whole Foods, wherever we'll go, and we'll pick up the turkey and we'll pick up the, the salad and we'll pick up the potatoes. You can't make a potato grow. You can plant a seed, and you can water a seed, and you can fertilize it, but you can't make that potato grow. One plants, another waters, but God brings the increase. And we forget that. We forget these kind of things. So God says, look, he says, I, I led you. See, some of you wonder, why, why don't things go better for me? Why does it seem like I always have these troubles in my life? That's the only way God can keep you close. Because it's when we're in, in times of poverty that we cry out to God. Oh, God, why is this happening to me? Oh, God, what's going on in my life? Oh, you know, when, when everything was going good, you know, see, prosperity can be dangerous. We all, everybody wants to be prosperous, but a lot of prosperous people end up miserable. Because they forget where it came from. And so poverty or need. So God says, I led you for 40 years in the wilderness why? He says to humble you. You needed to know who you were and you needed to know who I am. And that's the source of human. That's where real humility comes from in a person's life is knowing you who you are and knowing who God is. Once you get that straight, it produces worship, it produces humility and a lot of other things. To humble you and to test you. Now God knew what was in their heart, but really to know means to demonstrate, to make known. It was going to show when you go in that, into that, when you're in that time of need, in that time of poverty, it shows, it demonstrates what's really inside. What do you really think? And it's funny about God, our relationship with God, is there's so many people in our country and in our world, especially our country though, that, that don't want anything to do with God when things are going well. And then when things go bad, two, two different responses, some people that's, their, that's the, the best time in their life. That's when they're finally humbled. They finally look up when they're at the bottom. But other people don't want anything to do with God until they need someone to blame. Ah, and then they want to talk about God. You didn't want to talk about God when you were being blessed, but now that something's not going your way, now I need, I need God because I need someone to blame. Who are you going to thank this, this Thursday? Who are, you, who are your relatives going to thank? You know, the, one of the, one quote I read was, the saddest day for an atheist is when he's thankful and has no one to thank. That's a tough day. I'm so thankful, but, well, you tend to just look in the mirror and say, hey, I'm a self-made man. I, I did this myself. We'll, we'll get there. This is exactly what Deuteronomy says. But he led you these 40 years in the wilderness to humble you, to test you, to know what was in your heart, whether you would keep his commandments or not. So he humbled you, allowed you to hunger. So, so he lets you hunger to the point where you realize that I can't fix this. I can't change this. I'm powerless. And that is a great, it's a tough place to be, isn't it? 
But it's a great place to be. Has God ever taken you there to that point where you go, you know, we look at your marriage, you look at your kids, you look at your job, you go, I can't fix this. I can't fix And that can be either very discouraging or very encouraging if you know where to look to the one who can. And so he says, I allowed you to hunger. And then I fed you with the original superfood, manna. Those of you that are into healthy living, manna was the original superfood. It was manna. You did not know where it was from. You didn't, your fathers didn't know. No one had experienced this before. That he might make you know that man shall not live by bread alone, but man lives by every word that proceeds from the mouth of the Lord. This is what the lesson was they were supposed to learn. We were just studying in, in the Gospel of John the people, Jesus fed the multitudes. And they kept chasing him down for food, you know, for the physical food. That can keep you alive, but that can't give you life. There's a difference, isn't there? It's the difference between being alive and having life. Man, sh- this is what God wants to teach you and me this Thanksgiving. Man does not live by bread alone. And we go from meal to meal to meal, and some of us are addicted to food, craving food, and all that. Man does not live by bread alone. There's more to life than what you wear and, and what you eat. Isn't that what Jesus said? There's more to it than that. There's the word of God. Man does not live by, by bread alone, but by every word. Not just the ones we select, not just the ones we pick and choose, but by every word that proceeds from the mouth of God. All of his promises. How many of you have been sustained in a hard time by the promises of God? How many have been fed by God's word in a time of, of dryness, in a time of famine? Amen. A lot of us have. And so we, we know that. We, we know where to turn. And this is what God is teaching them. Turn to me. Because nothing else, who else do you turn to? I mean, when they're, when they're walking through the wilderness and they've, and they've got no water. Where do you, they, they turn to Moses. Moses, fix this. Moses goes, I can't fix it. And Moses turns to God. God, we can't fix this. You've got to fix this. You know, I'm addicted. I'm addicted to this. I'm addicted. I can't fix it. God, you got to fix it. You got to help me. I need help. And, and sometimes the help comes from a place you'd never expect. Manna. I mean, it, was, it, it means what is it? They didn't even know what it was, but it fed them. Verse 4 says, your garments did not wear out on you, nor did your foot, your, uh, foot swell these 40 years. So, all this time, God was letting them struggle, letting them have need, and then showing them that, hey, you can come to me. You can come to me, and I will take care of you. We have a good shepherd. Somebody say amen. We have a good shepherd. I have a father in heaven who loves to give good gifts to his children. When God chose a king, when, when the people chose a king for Israel, they wanted a guy who was big and tough and strong and handsome. When God chose a king, he chose a shepherd. Someone who would care for. We love Psalm 23. The Lord is my shepherd. Sheep. How many of you have gone down the food line and you see a sheep there in the, in the, the veggie aisle, you know, picking out some, uh, some salad to eat? No, they, sheep don't, they're dependent on the shepherd. Their feet didn't, the manna says their feet didn't swell. That, that means that the manna, they didn't have any of those diseases that are re- related to malnutrition. Sometimes when you have a very limited diet, you can get it, diseases that are related to not getting enough nutrients, enough of the right kind of nutrients. Manna was the original superfood. It did all that they needed to, uh, to be healthy 
during this 40 years that they were fed with it in the wilderness. And I like this, their shoes didn't wear out. Their, their garments didn't wear out on you. Your feet didn't swell. I mean, I can't find a pair of shoes that'll last six months anymore. But my truck now. That, every time I read this, I think my truck, I think, Lord, you're so good. That truck's from 1993, and it just keeps on going. and go, it just doesn't, I can't wear the thing out. Watch, I'll go out there today, and it won't start. But I feel like there's some things in my life where God is just sustained in, in a miraculous way. And why did he do this? Verse 5, you should know in your heart that as a man chastens his son, so the Lord your God chastens you. Uh, cha- don't take that in a negative way. Chastening or discipline is a very, very good thing. God doesn't discipline us out of his anger. He disciplines us out of love. He knows, listen, God knows the safest place for you. And the safest place for me is in his care. And so he has to, because we don't know that. Isaiah chapter 1 says the ox knows his master and the donkey even knows his crib, where, where his food is. But my people don't know. Isn't that funny? That a dumb ox knows he's got a master. And a donkey, now I, I've worked on a lot of donkeys in my days of shoeing horses and they're interesting animals. I'll I'll leave it at that. But even, so the point Isaiah is making is these dumb animals, dumb farm animals, are smarter than many people when they sit down at Thanksgiving and go, let's eat. And they don't consider where it came from. And the Lord disciplines us, shows us where those things come from. Therefore, he says, verse 6, you shall keep the commandments of the Lord your God to walk in his ways and to fear him. For the Lord your God is bringing you, this is this plan, he's bringing you into a good land, a land of brooks of water, of fountains and springs that flow out of valleys and hills, a land of wheat and barley, of vines and fig trees and pomegranates, a land of olive oil and honey, a land in which you will eat bread without scarcity, in which you will lack nothing. A land whose stones are iron and out of whose hills you can dig copper. I mean, he is, this is a, God has chosen for his people a very bountiful land. And, if, and some of you have been there with us on our trips to Israel. And it is, it is beautiful. It is awesome how, how plentiful Israel is. Uh, 17 cuttings of alfalfa. What is it, a month? Something like that? I mean, some crazy... A year? 17 a year. Yeah, that's what it is, a year. Seven, 17 a month, that'd be kind of crazy. That's like two days. Wow, that's how often I need a haircut. 17 cuttings of alfalfa a year. How many cuttings do we get a year of alfalfa around here? Two or three, maybe, if we're, if we're really blessed. It's an amazing land. Or, orchards and vineyards and just... It's not a sin to be prosperous. It's just really dangerous. And here's the danger, verse 10. When you have eaten and are full, then you shall bless the Lord your God for the good land which he has given you. There's a great Thanksgiving verse. You know what? Sit down. This Thanksgiving, sit down. And and after, you know, see, really the time to say grace. And and grace, when we say grace, the root word uh, for grace is the root in the word gratitude. And gratitude is... And grace are connected to getting something that you didn't deserve or earn. If you earned it, you'd be like, hey, I deserved it. 
I worked for it. But when you get a gift, all you can say is thank you, right? When someone gives you a gift, you say, what can I say? It makes us uncomfortable, doesn't it? When we receive something, we, we don't know what to do, how to respond. Some of you have a very hard time. You're going to be a lousy Christian if you're no good at receiving gifts. It's not going to work for you. If you feel like you always got to repay, 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 or I got to earn this somehow. You don't, you've missed the whole point completely. Your whole Christian life is a gift. That God says, I'm just going to give it to you. Just say thank you. Ten lepers get healed. Nine go, or ten, all ten of them go away uh, to show their cleansing in the temple. And one comes back to say thank you. Shouldn't it be the other way around? Maybe ten go away, nine come back and say thank you, and, and one guy, he's a loser, he forgot, you know, whatever. He just didn't care, thought he deserved it. I don't know. But when, you, when, you, when, when dinner's over, you're stuffed with turkey and stuffing and potatoes and cranberry and pumpkin pie and pecan pie or all that, and the football game is on, you're going, oh, you got to loosen the belt another notch or two. Oh, I ate too much. Anybody eat too much? I do all the time. Oh, I ate too much. And when you're sitting there watching a football game, I pray that the Lord convicts you. I pray that he just, man, just blows your mind and says, and did you just go, Lord, you are so good. Lord, you've been so good to me. So the real time to say grace is after dinner. We say it before. I understand why. Jesus broke, you know, and, and, and said thanks. But also good to say it afterwards. Now, here's the, here's the warning. So, so that, all that sounds good and great when you're there. And yes, Lord, we're, when we're in the land, when we're prosperous, we're going we're gonna to say thank you to you. And verse 11, he says, beware. There's a warning. How many of you know, pay attention when God gives a warning because he knows some things. Beware that you do not forget the Lord your God by not keeping his commandments, his judgments, his statutes, which I command you today. So he says, beware. The word forget, you can also translate that oblivious. Purposely oblivious. It's not that, you got, you know, it's not that we have a bad memory and we forget God. Oh, yeah, well, I know I'm supposed to remember something when we sit down. And eat. Oh, I just... I can't, I'm so bad at remembering. There's so many things to remember anymore, aren't there? I'm like passworded out. I got so many passwords. I can't get into anything that I own because I didn't forget the password. I got five different email addresses, and I don't know which one I use for this and which one I use for that. I was reading this story about a couple who were having, older couple having problems remembering things. Uh, so they decided to go to their doctor and, and get it checked out. And the doctor said, well, nothing's wrong with you. Uh, you just need to write some things down. When, when, you, when you do something, when you make a decision, when, when you want to remember something, just make sure you write it down, and, and you'll be okay. So later that night, they're watching TV, and the, the, the husband gets up from his chair, and uh, his wife says, hey, where are you going? He says to the kitchen. She says, will you get me a bowl of ice cream? Sure. Do you, do you think you should write that down so you remember it? Of course, he's a guy. He says, nah, I can remember that. It's easy. So then she says, well, I'd like some strawberries on top. You know, maybe you should write that down because you, you could forget that. And he says, no, nah, hey, I can, I can remember that. It's a bowl of ice cream, strawberries, no problem. So she says, well, you know, I really like whipped cream on my ice cream. And I know you're going to forget that, so you better write it down. I think he was about 35 in this uh, story, years old. 
with, with, <laughs> with irritation in his voice, he says, I don't need to write that down. I can remember that. Then he fumes into the kitchen. About 20 minutes later, he returns from the kitchen, hands her a plate of bacon and eggs. <laughs> and she stares at him and says, you forgot my toast. It's so easy to forget, isn't it? We're so forgetful. And here's the problem. Sometimes we forget where we've come from and we forget where we're going. And so he says, beware that you don't forget. Now, here's a good question. It's Thanksgiving. We've all learned about pilgrims and we've all dressed up in those silly little costumes when we were in fifth grade and third grade. We we do all that stuff. But here's a question. How many of you can name the president that made Thanksgiving a national holiday. Now, mind you, even back to George Washington, day, a day of Thanksgiving was being celebrated. But until this president that I'm speaking of, it was uh, state by state. Each state kind of came up with their own time to do it and made their own you know, deal with it. But then one president, because of a woman who wrote to him about it, made it a national holiday. Does anybody know who that president was? Abraham Lincoln. I don't remember learning that in school. And you know what else I didn't learn? What, I, what else that I had not been aware of? Now, if you'll permit me to, I have a, a, the proclamation from Abraham Lincoln, October 3rd, 1863, in the midst of the Civil War, is when this proclamation was made. This is the proclamation that instituted Thanksgiving in the United States of America. Now, I'm going to read it, and I want you to tell me if America hasn't forgotten By the President of the United States of America, proclamation, the year that is drawing towards its close has been filled with the blessings of fruitful fields and and healthful skies. To these bounties, which are so constantly enjoyed that we are prone to forget the source from which they come, others have been added, which are of so extraordinary a nature that they cannot fail to penetrate and soften even the heart which is habitually insensible to the ever-watchful providence of Almighty God. In the midst of a civil war of unequaled magnitude and severity, which has sometimes seemed to foreign states to invite and to provoke their aggression, peace has been preserved with all nations. Order has been maintained, the laws have been respected and obeyed, and harmony has prevailed everywhere except in the theater of military conflict. While that theater has been greatly contracted by the advancing armies and navies of the Union, needful diversions of wealth and of strength from the fields of peaceful industry to the borders of our settlements and the mines as well of iron and coal as of the precious metals have yielded even more abundantly than heretofore. Population has steadily increased, notwithstanding the waste that has been made in the camp, the siege and the battlefield. And the country rejoicing in the consciousness of augmented strength and vigor is permitted to expect continuance of years with large increase of freedom. So basically what he's saying is despite the fact that we're at war, we still seem to be prospering. Things still, you know, the, the fields are still operating and people are still plowing and, and people are still weaving and there's commerce is still happening. And even despite the, the, all the, the war that's going on. And here's what he says. No human counsel hath devised nor hath any mortal hand worked out these things, these great things. They are the gracious gifts of the Most High God who while dealing with us in anger for our sins, has nevertheless remembered mercy. 
a little bit longer. Are you still with me? You don't read this in school. At least I never did. It has seemed to me fit and proper that they should be solemnly, reverently, and gratefully acknowledged as with one heart and one voice by the whole American people. I do therefore invite my fellow citizens in every part of the United States and also those who are at sea and those who are sojourning in foreign lands to set apart and observe the last Thursday of November next. Later on, it gets changed to the third Thursday uh, as a day of thanksgiving and praise. Thanksgiving and what? Praise. A day of thanksgiving and praise to our beneficent father who dwelleth in the next room watching TV. No, that's not what it says. Who dwelleth in the heavens. And I recommend them to them that while offering up the ascriptions justly due to him for such singular deliverances and blessings, they do also with humble penitence for our national perverseness and disobedience commend to his tender care all those who have become widows, orphans, mourners, or sufferers in the lamentable civil strife in which we are unavoidably engaged and fervently implore the interposition of the almighty hand to heal the wounds of the nation and to restore it as soon as may be consistent with the divine purposes to the full enjoyment of peace, harmony, tranquility, and union. There's a little bit more, but I think that you get the point. So where are we going as a nation? Where are you going as a family? When's the last time you sat down and, and not just gave the lip service of saying grace, but that your heart really felt it. That you really understood that what you have truly is from God. Look what he says. Beware lest you do not, uh, that you do not forget the Lord in keeping your God in, by not keeping his commandments, his judgments, his statutes, as I command you today. Last, verse 12, when you have eaten and are full and have built beautiful houses and dwell in them. And when your herds and your flocks multiply and your silver and your gold are multiplied and all that you have is multiplied. And when your heart is lifted up and you forget the Lord your God who brought you out of the land of Egypt from the house of bondage, who led you through the great and terrible wilderness in which were fiery serpents and scorpions and a thirsty land where there was no water. He brought you uh, water for you out of the flinty rock. He fed you in the wilderness with manna, which your fathers did not know, that he might humble you and that he might test you to do you good in the end. Then, verse 17, you say, this is what you're, last, verse 12, then you say in your heart, my power and the might of my hand have gained me this wealth. That's the danger, that you forget God and think that somehow it was you that produced it. Now, we know, yes, we're called to work hard and, and honor God with, the, with our labor and all of those things. But none of you chose to be born in America. You could have been born anywhere. And some of you weren't born in America. But you could have been born anywhere. You could be living anywhere right now. Nobody chose to give you the, I mean, you didn't choose the IQ that you have. You didn't choose the particular gifts and skills that you have that you use to earn that money. And then this is the day, this was the, the problem with Sodom and Gomorrah. Not sodomy, it was pride. It was pride. See, because God resists the proud. But he gives grace to the humble. Beware that you say, my power and the might of my hand have gained me this wealth. Remember in Daniel chapter 4, you've got Nebuchadnezzar. He's out looking over his kingdom. 
Let me turn there real quickly and, and I'll read it to you. Nebuchadnezzar, uh, the, the Babylonian king, says in Daniel 4, says, uh, the king spoke saying, is not this great Babylon that I have built for a royal dwelling by my mighty power and for the honor of my majesty? Uh-oh. I mean, when I hear somebody talking like that, I want to run and hide. I, just, I don't want to be standing near you when you start doing that stuff because, you know, I don't want to be involved in that. That's dangerous stuff, right? Pride cometh before destruction and a haughty spirit before a fall. It's not, you know, we, we, my family is so blessed. Your families are so blessed. God is so good. But the danger is forgetting where we came from. Forgetting, and that pride, in our pride, we, we get built up. And we think that we're God. And God says, I'm just trying to set the record straight. Any of you ever felt unappreciated? You ever done some stuff and, and just nobody, you know, maybe it's in your family. You're just working to do it. You, you cook the meals, you clean the toilets, you do this, you, you drive kids everywhere, and no one seems to appreciate it. Maybe it's here at church. You know, you, you've been doing this, no one said thank you. No one's, no one's acknowledged it. You haven't got, Pastor Steve hasn't given you a personal call. Look, let me say this to this church. It would take me all year to thank all of you personally for everything you've done i know what's happening in this fellowship i see don't think that just because i haven't thanked you personally i don't appreciate what you guys are doing because i only get about two or three cards a year too so we're all in the same boat aren't we (laughs) but there are people that do thank me and there are people that i write cards to thank so i think it what goes around comes around we're all kind of you know None of you have thanked everybody else either. You know, somebody set these chairs up this morning. Somebody's watching your kids in the, in the nursery or in the children's ministry, and you're not necessarily going to thank them. You take that for granted. There's a lot of stuff that happens in our lives and we take for granted. And, but we know that feeling of being unappreciated, right? When we've been working so hard to do something for somebody. This, I mean, one of my pet peeves, oh, my pet peeve is, un, is ingratitude. When, when, especially you see it, you know, you guys close your ears. Especially when you see it in the youth these days or in kids. They just think they deserve everything. Well, everybody's got a cell phone. I just did something I deserve. No, it's a privilege. Driving, it's a privilege. You're, you had, you're now licensed to operate a weapon. That's true. I mean, I, I don't mean that as a joke. That's true. That vehicle's a weapon. That's a privilege that you earn. Not something that's... That you, but boy, when, when people are ungrateful and have that, that proud attitude of ungratefulness, like, yeah, you know, it's just my deal. I deserve this. Oh, that bugs me. And if, you, and if it bugs me, if it bugs you, and it does, you think God deserves that? What about when people sit down to eat? Ah, look what I've done for myself. And God says, wait a second. Look at verse 18, and then we'll finish. And you shall remember the Lord your God, for it is he who gives you power to get wealth, that he may establish his covenant, which he swore to your fathers, as it is to this day. So basically what he's saying is, uh, I've given you the ability to do this because I made some promises to you. And, and so 
When God makes promises to you that he's going to care for you, he cares for you. And he gives things to you. I've seen, so, I can't tell you how many people I've, come, I've seen come in and out of this fellowship. And they're here. Things are going rotten in their life. They, they lose their job for the second time or they're in jail for the third time. You know, and, and they, so they come back to church and they're here uh, on the floor going, oh, I've blown it again. I'm such a loser. I'm, oh, I can't believe I did it. I walked away from God. I'm so stupid. And, and so they repent. And then, and then God starts to bless them. And, and they get a new job. And, and things start to come together. And then what happens? You know, it's like the guy that was driving in the parking lot Christmas time. He's driving through the parking lot of the mall. And he uh, can't find a parking spot anywhere. And he, he just begins to pray. Oh, God, if you would just find me a parking spot, I would, I would, uh, you know, I would come back to church. I would read my Bible every day. I'll pray to you all the time. Just, I just need a parking spot that's close. And so he's driving right close to the front entrance of the mall. And these two cars just miraculously slide apart. Just boom, they bump into the cars next to them and slide, makes a space. And the guy goes, oh, never mind, God, I found one. <laughs> oh. But that's how we are, isn't it? God, I need a job, I need a job. And, and, and then you get the call back, oh, never mind, God, I found a job. I didn't need you after all. <laughs> so silly I am. It's just, just a moment of weakness, you know. I really didn't need you. I got it taken care of myself. Or do we? I'm going to invite Phil to come back up. And, and I don't know where, you know, life is busy, right? And we're all going our thousand directions. And in the beginning, Genesis says, God. And it was God who breathed life into Adam. And Adam became a living being. All along, it's been God. In, in your, listen to me very, very carefully. In your life, all along, it's been God. All along. Disciplining. Speaking to you in adversity. Speaking to you, saying, just come to me. We've been reading that in John, right? I'm the fountain of living waters. I'm the bread of life. I'm the light of the world. Just come to me. And everything else, everything else in our culture, everything else that you turn to is a substitute for rejection of God. Everywhere else people try to drink. Everywhere else they try to find help. I don't want God. I'll get, the, I'll get wisdom from Dr. Phil or Oprah. Have at it. Everything else, if a people reject God, we get, we get Romans chapter 1. Says that 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 people that that should know and that do know God choose not to worship Him and are not thankful, and they exchange the truth of God for a lie, for the lie that He doesn't exist. And God says, "Okay, build your own society. Then see how it goes for you. Kick me out of the schools. Kick me out of government. Take away the Ten Commandments from the courts." You know, yeah, you know, let's all live sinless or sinful lives. Let's, let's just get rid of anything that's moral. Let's get rid of all that stuff. We don't want to, you know, that's not freedom. People would say, I want to be free to do what I want to do. Well, you're not free to take someone else's life. But why is that such a problem for us? Why do we seem to get confused about, why are the Ten Commandments so, so bad? Why is it so bad to pray to God? 
And what's the alternative that we're asking for? But the, the nation is as its people are, right? That's all a nation is. It's a community of people, individuals. So, so let's not shake our finger at the school system or at the president or at the Congress until we first look at our own lives and say, are we acknowledging God? Am I thankful when I sit down to pray? Or do I go to the restaurant with, with my friends and there's someone I know at the table next to me and I go, huh, I really should pray, but I don't want them to see me praying. Or, or there you are at work and it's lunchtime and everybody's in the break room and you get your lunch out and you kind of just go, you know, there's really, you just do whatever you can not to be seen praying. Because that might be embarrassing. I pray that you have a beautifully grateful Thanksgiving. However much or little that you have, whatever it is that you have, it's a gift of God. And I pray that you receive it that way. Amen? Amen. Let's stand.